just add us to the list of many businesses trying to uh, make the adjustments they need to, to to remain relevant. And for us, what's most important is to to be of use. You're listening to Relish This, the Purpose Marketing Podcast. Here's your host, Stu Swineford. Hey, everybody. Stu here. Another great episode of Relish This on the way. My guest this week was Ryan O'Donohue, and he is the CEO of First Descents and Stoke Broker. And they do some amazing stuff in the outdoor space, really trying to help um, survivors of, of life-threatening um illnesses kind of get this this passion and this drive and and get these experiences that can only be found outdoors they've been around for 20 years have a really great established uh, organization stoke broker is their new or for-profit organization that funds uh or fuels some of the things that first descents does but our conversation was was really interesting and, and really fun um I think the two big takeaways for me were really believing in the in in the passion of the mission and 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 tapping into that passion as you're developing your nonprofit and then looking for ways to partner with other nonprofits where instead of creating duplication in the space figure out how you can create collaboration. Collaboration is part of the first descent's ethos and I think you'll hear that come out in the show. I had a great time. I hope you really enjoy it. Here we go. Ryan O'Donohue, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me, Stu. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's really cool to have you on. Um, you're doing some great work there at First Descents, and um, we'd love to hear uh, all about it. Well, I appreciate that. We are incredibly passionate about our work and uh, excited to have a, a platform to share with any new audiences out there who are new to our work. Well, fantastic. So tell us a little bit about what you guys are up to this year. It, it's a new year. Uh, this is going to air in March or April, but um, but definitely. So we'll have a few months under our belts at that point. But uh, but as we're recording this, it's, it's January. So how are things going there for you guys? Things are good. But before we get gar- get started, can I, uh, can I ask you a question, Stu? Absolutely. So I went back and I listened to the podcast that inspired the start of your podcast. And um, I have a question that pertains to that. Am I part of your top 10 nonprofit leaders that you wanted to interview? Are you? Are, are you? Yeah. Yeah, you are, actually. I there are, I have a, um, a, a laundry list of people that I'd like to interview. And it's... Uh, it ranges from people who are just getting started. So I've talked to a lot of people who are just starting out. And then uh, obviously there are some people who, who I would say are, are doing a great job of, of really crushing it in this nonprofit space. And, and I, would, I would definitely put you among that, that elite group. Um, you guys have been doing this for quite some time, and and it's exciting to have you uh, on the show to talk about. It. Well, it's an incredible honor, and I was kind of joking there, but I have listened to a handful of your podcasts, and I love them. You have some really incredible guests on there, and lots of learnings, and I, I like to continue to learn from other leaders doing great work. So I appreciate everything you're doing with the podcast. Uh, in terms of first descents, we're excited uh, to enter a new year. Obviously, we're facing a lot of the similar challenges to uh, what we faced in 2020. I think the one big differentiator is that we're 
I think entering a year knowing what our obstacles are and uh, many of the challenges that, that we're up against, it almost feels like, um, you know, entering the second half of, of a game where you're a little bit more knowledgeable about your opponent and your strategy, but you still kind of have to get back on the field and still a lot of hard, uh, hard, hard work to be done ahead of us. This year we're planning, we're really excited to get back to, to, more core programming, which is really outdoor adventure programming, uh, historically for young adults impacted by cancer. And uh, we introduced other serious health conditions in recent years, including multiple sclerosis. Um, but we also, in the time of COVID, weren't able to serve those those populations. And we pivoted to serve healthcare workers. So we will continue serving healthcare workers who are on the front lines of COVID and uh, expect that um, in the early part of the year, our programs will be focused on, on that population for a number of reasons. Obviously, they're at the top of the list when it comes to vaccinations. Um, they also obviously have done a really great job. Um, kind of, <laughs> one, they need the support, but they also kind of know... Um, largely what how to keep themselves safe in an environment where you know covid is 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 um you know prevalent so um we've done a lot of work to really adjust our program control measures to make sure that we can host um really health uh really safe and healthy programs for everybody and um we'll we'll host anywhere between 30 and 40 multi-day programs throughout the country we'll focus in on a couple key regions that have uh, the highest demand um, based on the inquiries that that we've received through our process. And, you know, really excited. There'll be climbing programs, paddling programs, hiking. And we have a, a really great uh, yoga and mindfulness component that we weave into these programs as well, uh, particularly for the Hero Recharge programs. One of the things that we've learned in, in conversations with our friends within the healthcare community is that Oftentimes, healthcare workers, they're really incredible at taking care of others, but uh, self-care can um, sometimes land on the back burner for them. So really just leaning in and, and supporting those folks who are doing so much to, to support really the, the broader community during this unprecedented time. Yeah, I remember last year when you guys announced that you were pivoting a little bit to include healthcare workers as a primary kind of recipient or beneficiary of your services. I, I just thought that was such a wonderful idea. And um, I mean, as you've illustrated, it's really well thought through as well, just based upon safety protocols and everything else. And and uh, I, I have a few friends who are in, in healthcare, um, one who's a respiratory therapist. So he's, you know, right on the front lines of all of this stuff. And, and yeah, those guys have all been hit really hard by, um, you know, by the psychological as well as the, the physical component of, of trying to take care of people, you know, 24 seven, essentially. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the, the biggest asset I have of anybody listening is if you know people who can benefit from our programs, please send them our way. And, and right now that does include young adults impacted by cancer, primarily people in their twenties and thirties, um, similar with uh, multiple sclerosis. And then obviously this new, um, healthcare worker population. So your friend would be a great candidate. Um, would love to get them out there. And uh, we've had a, a number of respiratory therapists out at our programs. And, and that is obviously a group that's it's hard at work um, throughout this whole pandemic. 
Yeah, absolutely. He actually used to be a river guide as well. So he, I'm sure he would have a blast as, as part of that program. Even better, because in the long run, uh, we always need really great medical volunteers on our program. So anytime we can get people out to a program, either as a participant or, or a medical volunteer, that's always a great way to to plug in. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll mention it to him for sure. So what's been one of the biggest challenges you guys have been facing is it, <clears throat> I mean, aside from the, the safety protocol pieces, are there any other components in terms of getting in touch with people or, or is it just an education piece at this, at this point for you? That's, that's the biggest challenge. Well, I think there are a number of challenges. I think one of them is just trying to gauge people's level of comfort with, with engaging mm-hmm. on experiences like this. Um, that's, that's obviously one. Another one for us is, it's really revamping our program design. Historically, we've partnered with lodging um, partners and outfitters throughout the country. And, you know, oftentimes we're bunking up in in a room where there's two beds in that room. And obviously that's kind of a no-go uh, in the current environment. Right. So we've really have to move into a model where we have single occupancy rooms and then we're doing all the other um you know, uh, program control measures that have been largely informed by an infectious disease specialist who we contracted in to help uh, really refresh our communicable disease plan and um, really with a special focus on on COVID. So I think for us, a lot of it's just finding, quite honestly, new partners to work with who have uh, accommodations that can uh, can really support single occupancy, uh, uh, you know, rooms for, for our participants and our staff. And then also, you know, in areas where, um, you know, there's really close proximity to the great activities that we love to offer, which is, you know, rock climbing, ice climbing, uh, whitewater kayaking, surfing, and really quite honestly, any <laughs> outdoor adventure sport you can imagine at this point, we've been around for 20 years and, and began primarily with week long whitewater kayaking programs. And, and the organization has evolved quite a bit over the years. And now it's really anything that, that kind of falls into the outdoor adventure category, mountain biking, hiking, uh, mountaineering, you name it. And it just depends on, um, you know, what those programs look like in, in what areas. But for, for now, we've really had to simplify and streamline um, our approach. And so this year, you know, again, that, that will be the approach going into this year is um, really taking a, a simplified approach to how we think about program delivery and then really hopefully building towards a, uh, a bigger ramp up in 2022 and beyond as, as we know people are going to be chomping at the bits to get out and get outside and, and, and reconnect with their peers. Yeah, I was actually talking with someone on a hike, excuse me, just the other day about tourism and how, you know, it's obviously has been incredibly impacted by all of this and whether or not it'll be easier to to travel here coming up or or harder as as people, you know, they're so excited to get back out and, and kind of live that that lifestyle that they've been they've been dying to, to, to get in back, back to, back to, you know, um, so it's going to be kind of interesting to see how things roll out, but it's really cool that you have identified some of the, some of the big challenges and are, are looking toward those opportunities to kind of solve those problems. Yeah. I feel like just add us to the list of many businesses trying to uh, make the adjustments they need to, to, to remain relevant. And for us, what's most important is to, to be of use. You know, I think that was one of the things that we found with our team early on. Uh, I got to admit there was a moment there where it, it felt pretty paralyzing thinking about having to cancel hundreds of programs throughout the country and, and really not knowing what we could do. And, 
Um, one of the, the things we did early on is we were able to, to pivot our staff and, and focus on some of the um, frontline kind of COVID relief work in, in the local area, supporting organizations like the Action Center and, and Denver mm-hmm. Delivery Network, amongst others. But then soon, soon after, um, you know, in, in partnership with a lot of the, the hospitals and providers that we work with throughout the country who are really just supportive in, in, in referring patients and to become participants of our program in any typical year, we were in right. conversation with them, just hearing how much, um, you know, of course they're navigating with this and we felt, Hey, this might be an opportunity to be of use and to be of service. And, and, and the team really rallied behind that. And I think really that kept, that kept us motivated throughout the year. Um, cause at first it, I'm sure many people were experiencing this. So there's some shared universal empathy here, but we were really, I mean, quite honestly, as a leader, I was I was a little bit paralyzed there for for a little bit, trying to figure out, you know, how do we move forward? Right. Well, that's interesting. Is that typically how beneficiaries get introduced to your program? Is through through their their care facilities? Yeah, the two top sources of a referral for us are really word of mouth, and and now mm-hmm. it's kind of becoming also. Uh, learning about us online through social media and otherwise, but otherwise it really is, is through a campaign that we launched a few years ago titled prescribe adventure. And we have over 400 hospitals and medical centers throughout the U S with nearly 800 providers who are signed on to be, you know, advocates of that program and sharing information about first descents with their, their patients at a time that makes most sense within their, their healing. And um, right. so that is it is a, a really incredible source of of referrals from our medical community. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I wasn't quite sure what your you know what what activities you guys were were employing to get in front of beneficiaries, and you know, other than the obvious, just kind of general marketing stuff and um, and online activities. So that's neat that you have that referral network. My guess is that, that that's, that's got to lead to quite a few opportunities there in terms of not only volunteer options, um, but, uh, but, but donor base as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the, the greatest opportunity obviously is, is partnering with, with medical centers who are, who are treating these you know, the, the population who we serve and, and able to introduce these programs at times that are, are good for them. And the idea of actually serving healthcare workers isn't new. It just hasn't, it wasn't, um, we weren't in a place to pursue it until quite honestly, COVID forced the hand a bit. Um, so right. yeah, I think, I mean, there, there obviously are a lot of benefits to that network, um, the expertise, the you know, medical volunteers that, that come out to our programs to make sure that we're fully fully covered and supported uh, on site when we're hosting uh, participants out um, to, to support any range of needs they may have while they're with us. And then, and to some extent there is, uh, you know, an, an advancement play with philanthropists who are connected with some of those hospitals who are committed to not only the research and, and therapy that, um, you know, that, that's being administered within those settings, but also to the longer term survivorship care piece of helping people, navigate their journey kind of post-treatment, which obviously is becoming a much more well-known challenge these days, which, which is a good thing because it definitely means more 
supportive resources are being brought to bear for folks who are coming out of treatment and have given a quote, have been given maybe a, a, a clean bill of health or are just, you know, on ongoing therapy um, longer term, but not supported in a day-to-day capacity with a medical team. Um, oftentimes that can be a, a challenging time in the transition of people's care. And that's that's where ideally organizations like ours and other great um, advocacy organizations can step in to support patients throughout their their healing. Yeah, it seems like there might be kind of a gap there as you're coming off of that intensive support that's going on during treatment to, you know, some kind of post, uh, you know, post treatment sort of sort of event that that there's there might be kind of a an interesting lull in in one's life. Is that what you guys see? Yeah, very often that is the case. You know, oftentimes people are are told, you know, you're good to go, um, and and people again one on the medical you know for those providers unfortunately the demand is 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 so high that they have to be you know they really often have to focus on the next case that they're that they're treating mm-hmm. um and you know even sometimes friends and families hear oh you're cured that's great you're you know you're good to go and and that that um oftentimes that rally of support that happens while somebody's going through treatment tends to to fade a little bit. And that's really where organizations like First Ascents can step in. Um, one of the beautiful things is is just that peer connection. When people come out to our programs, they don't really have to explain that much what they've been through. <laughs> they they right. understand right. one another and those conversations really evolve organically. And for us, we very much see our role as creating a safe space for that to happen and also introducing uh, incredible adventure experiences that empower people to um, really um, kind of push beyond some of those perceived limitations that, that that they're feeling at any given time. One of the things that we hear most at our programs is, you know, I felt like my body betrayed me or I, I lost all confidence in my physical abilities. And after having gone through an experience with us where we create an environment that is really tailored to people's individual goals throughout our experience and getting them to a place where they they feel that sense of accomplishment it's really empowering. And, and so that's, you know, that's a great example of where, you know, quite honestly, as somebody who was, um, who lost, I lost my brother to cancer. I was, was a part of his, his care team throughout the process. And sometimes it's just difficult as a family member because you you can't do everything for that individual. And sometimes they do need to connect with their peer group in a, in a, you know, so they can, have that shared empathy. Uh, and it's not to say that families aren't wonderful, supportive and compassionate, but sometimes we as family members can feel a bit at a loss in terms of what we can do to continue supporting people, depending on what they're, they're, they're going through. Yeah, it certainly is, is interesting that <clears throat> kind of the multi-tiered need that, that certain levels just can't fulfill. And and as much as we'd like to, as as caregivers, there's you know there's only so much that we can do, and then sometimes there's just a role that that needs to be filled by by someone else, whether that's a peer group or or an organization like yours. It's um, it's really kind of it's cool that you guys are, have plugged into that and and are seeing seeing the benefits of of those types of of engagements. Yeah, absolutely. You bring up caregivers too, and I think that's an important um, you know group as well that's often forgotten throughout the process as their loved ones. You know, oftentimes the focus of of kind of everyone within their community um, to provide support, and so we do a limited number of caregiver programming as well. 
and, okay. and we're actually looking to grow that in time. We have a lot of incredible partners who are really eager to support the work of, of us making sure that caregivers also have similar experiences to um, the, the participants we serve who are the ones navigating that, that primary diagnosis. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting road that, that, you know, unfortunately so many of us have to have to travel down at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's just, uh, it's cool to, to hear how you guys are expanding that mission a bit in terms of, of, you know, always looking for new opportunities to, to serve. I think that's great. We're excited. Yeah. We're excited to continue to see where we can bring adventure to more and more people's lives. And I mean, we, we as a team and a, as an organization and really as a, a broader community, just really believe in the healing power of adventure and, Stu, I know you a little bit. You've been with us out to Silverton and and you and I have, you know, gotten outside for walking meetings um, in the past. And I know how much you value that as well. And so it's not necessarily unique to us, but what we're trying to do is create um, those those direct program experiences. And one of the other things we're excited about this year is, is building a little bit more of a platform to really inspire and educate people um, and actually reminds me of a conversation, Stu, you and I had a while back, this idea of really helping the do-it-yourself movement and, and, get, and enabling people with the tools and resources they need to get out there and, and create and make adventure a part of their healing process, not only while they're with us at a program, but you know, back in their communities, perhaps with other members of the First, first Sense community who they've um, who also... Uh, had a, a, an experience with us and, and understand the, the culture and the outliving it spirit that we believe so strongly in. So that's another uh, aspect of our work. We're really ex- excited to lead into this year um, and, and helping people through their own adventure creation. Uh, I think that's just great. I, you know, one of the things we, we talk about all the time is, you know, kind of three levels of, of engagement and the first being, just helping people figure out how to solve the problem. So being a, being there as a resource in a DIY capacity is, you know, it's a, it's a fantastic way to just help people who, who, who really just want to take the reins and, and go for it um, to accomplish things. And, and so just having that, having that attitude that you're willing to just pass on information to help people figure it out is uh is a, is a great first step to kind of a done with you. So there's certainly this, this next step, which, um, where, where you're a guide in that process and helping people, um, <clears throat> you know, come up with whatever their plan might be. And so that is a potential for, for you guys. And then certainly the third is the done for you where, you know, it's more of a, a white glove kind of approach. And, and so it's cool to, to hear that you're, kind of engaging at least in those first two, if, if not that middle one. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it just depends on how you, you um, define each of those areas, but I think that that's spot on. I think the, the done for you to some extent is, Hey, we're going to host a, a multi-day adventure program. We want you to come out. Everything's going to be taken care of. We'll walk you through everything step by step. Um, I mean, obviously in part that's done with you because they're coming yeah. with us, right. And they're experiencing it. Um, on their, on their terms and, and, and based on their own personal experience, but it's largely that, that high touch. Um, we like to think yeah. of our work less as kind of white glove, but definitely more high touch. And, right. and that's where we're providing those, those, you know, free of cost programs to people we serve. And then, yeah, the done with you and, and the do it yourself. I think those are things again, that we are, are definitely building out and, and have done historically, but really just trying to build out a, a framework that, that does that. 
um, a little bit more at scale. We have the blessing um, of having worked in this this space for over 20 years. And we have incredible partners throughout the country who are outfitters and local guides. And really the idea there is, you know, having vetted a lot of these folks and know that they're great to work with and they understand us, they understand our community and the needs of our participants. It's really, how do we plug them? Uh, how do we plug our community into those, those various offerings? And then over right. time, can, again, continuing to, to create that self-efficacy that allows people to really embrace adventure and other healthy, uh, lifestyle changes into their life. You know, nutrition's a big, uh, emphasis at our programs and, and, and just more broadly within, within our organization as is, um, yoga and mindfulness. And, you know, obviously adventure is our core competency and that's what we lean into most, but we believe that there are these all, these other kind of non-medical interventions that really support, um, healthy behavior change and, and overall mm -hmm. improved quality of life. Yeah, there's there's a there's a whole bunch of different ways that, that you could take that for sure. Absolutely, um, it's it's cool. Um, I was thinking you mentioned earlier about lodging, yeah, and it, and it feels like there's opportunity there right now, particularly to maybe create relationships with um, either hotel chains or you know kind of Airbnb or places like that to to help expand that. Um, that opportunity or that ability to, to house, you know, participants. Um, have you guys done anything to, to reach out to those kind of resources to tee up potential longer term um, partnerships? Absolutely. Yeah. We've heard, we've, we've been in discussions with a lot of different groups, uh, really evaluating all sorts of solutions. One in particular is with the American camping association and having a note go out to really, all the members within that, um, you know, w for those who, in, in many cases, there have been situations where kids camps have been canceled or other things have been canceled due to this and, and really trying to help, um, again, use some of the beautiful properties and facilities they have on offer to, to provide some programming during this unique time. And that's been definitely a part of our strategy is, is trying to make as many of those connections as possible and, and making sure that we're, we're getting the lodging done right and with a level of affordability that that a relatively modest size nonprofit can sure. can, can yeah. manage. Yeah, that gosh, it's it's just such a challenge. Um, you know, when you when you have to double your capacity all of a sudden, right? Um, it just I can t completely see how that's that's a daunting daunting task, particularly in some of the places that you guys go, which aren't necessarily you know, on the beaten path all the time, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, we do. And again, that's another challenge too. Obviously we're not asking people to get on planes and to travel far distances to come to our program. So we're really going to a little bit more of that regional program model where people can ideally drive themselves to a program and figure out, you know, safe transportation without having to get a, get on a, you know, go through the airport, get on a flight, all the things that go into that. Not suggesting I know much about the safety of air travel during all of this, I quite honestly don't, but I think that's one area that we've been advised to be careful about. So we're trying to, to, to really uh, make the adjustments that we need to there. And sometimes that means not going to some of those remote, the more remote destinations that we really love. Right. And that's, it's a bummer. We, we love the partners that we, that we have uh, in a lot of those places as well. And that's been a, a really a difficult 
thing to, to accept throughout all of this, quite honestly, is not being able to do this work in partnership with so many of those who are really just, you know, really they, they're, they're just an extension of, of our team and our community. And, 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 you know, we heard it from a lot of our long-term partners that it was, it was a, it was a tough year not having that, that uh, opportunity to be a part of this in, in a direct kind of hands-on way. And, and I think we're facing that again this year, which is again, tough for us to, to accept, but you know, we're all making those adjustments within our businesses. Yeah, we certainly are. I mean, we've, we've seen, you know, and maybe even an uptick in people's desire to give back. I think people are, are itching to be a part of, of a community be part of a, of a movement and, a, and, and something that brings a lot of good to the world. And, and in the last year, you know, that's been kind of not, certainly not as, as, uh, as easy, easily done as in years past, you can't just, you know, go out and volunteer for, for your favorite organization right now. A, a lot of the times when, particularly when, when that organization's work is very hands-on. Um, so there's certainly other ways that I think people can, can get engaged and and it's a really good time to be reaching out to all your stakeholders, I think, to, to see just how, how they might help, you know, spread the word in, in, uh, you know, in the absence of being able to go out and, and, um, and do a lot of hands-on volunteer work. Yeah, that's, that's right. We are, we are so lucky to have such a supportive community. And and I I will say that um, people have, stepped up in, in so many different ways to support our continued, um, you know, advancing our, our mission, moving forward and, and looking ahead and thinking differently and planning differently. I think those are some of the silver linings in all of this is, you know, we we have identified areas of our business that we think we can adjust and, and, and make some changes longer term that will hopefully remove some of the more difficult variables that, that go into program planning and, and doing it at scale. So um, probably a, a much longer conversation for another, another time, but we're in the process of refreshing our strategic plan and really looking towards this may sound far off, but you know, we've, we've been around 20 years. Where do we want to be 20 years from now? And then how do we, mm-hmm. how do we break it down in bite-sized pieces from there, knowing what our vision is, uh, and where we want to be in 2040 as an example. Um, and so we have lots of really great ideas that um, are percolating right now that we're using Q1 to to crystallize. Usually this is the time of year where we're ramping up for our biggest annual event here in the Vail Valley, um, where you know we bring together members of really all aspects of our community, everything from our, you know, our, our, our partners, our corporate partners to our, um, you know, longtime donors to our volunteers and our, um, our outfitters even come to this event, certainly our alumni of our programs and, and participants. So it's, 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 it's the second year we won't be able to host this one up here. Um, last year would have been our 20th anniversary. We would have been celebrating our 20th anniversary. So, um, you know, we, we do look, forward to getting back to those types of events. But absent of that this year, we're able to, to really lean into some of the long-term planning work that um, is going to really, um, really, really kind of illuminate the path for us longer term and, and create a very clear vision for our team and our community um, as we look to the future. Yeah. Events just got clobbered in the last, last year or so. Um, I was fortunate enough to be able to squeeze in to your Silverton trip last year, <laughs> um, which was just a blast. Um, 
and um, that was that was about a month before things really kind of started to started to hit hard. What are the other kind of fundraising events do you have planned for for this year? Well, this year we do. Well, we're gonna we're gonna reboot the first ascents ball. We're gonna do it in the fall, so long as everything goes well and we can pull it off, which we think we can. Um, I think there are a bunch of the other fundraising events that hopefully will come back online this year. Uh, we have a, a really great partnership with Leadville 100, both the ride and the run, and we tend okay. to have a really healthy team in those events, and that raises a, a really good amount of money for us each year. Um, other events like New York City Marathon, Hood to Coast, and a bunch of other great events that really kind of fall under this Outliving It project umbrella. Mm-hmm. And we're actually, side note here, we're, we're, we're expanding what the Outliving It project platform is, is the, the offerings through that with, again, this adventure creation opportunity and this platform to have members of our team who can really help people do that. Um, you know, absent of having to fundraise or anything like that, just really helping people to adventure in their own communities. But in terms of fundraising events, really it's, you know, again, it's those, it's those peer to peer fundraising events. It's hopefully rebooting the, the first and sense ball here in the, in the fall of 2021. Um, but thankfully, you know, from a fundraising perspective, we have an incredible team that does a lot of great, uh, grant work. Uh, and we have a really, um, supportive network of, 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 people who give, you know, personally, um, you know, philanthropists and others who just are very generous to our cause. And so we're not, you know, while we historically have really great local events, like our Brooklyn bash event and our San Francisco bash and some other things like that, we really just have to hit the pause button on those. Cause what we don't want to do is plan a bunch of things that we have to cancel again. That was quite sure. painful yeah. last year is having to cancel all of those, really exciting events and, and, and programs, of course. And so this year we're really, we're planning around the knowns and, and, and not, we're trying to avoid reacting to the unknowns. And then, you know, obviously that's always a part of any, any businesses is being able to respond to unknowns and be agile. But um, this year we're really trying to, to streamline, simplify, and then plan a plan for ramping up in 2022 and beyond. Yeah, I think it's a re- a little bit of a reset. That's right. um, I, you know, you mentioned early on that it feels like second half, which I I I get that feeling as well. We've all kind of been been handling things uh, for good or bad for the last <laughs> almost almost a year now, and um, and have learned a lot. And and I think we've all been able to um, hopefully been able to to grow and and to really see that that. You know, we can adapt and we can make make you know still make great things happen in the absence of what is sort of normal um so it's great to great to hear that you guys have have managed to do that as well and that you're uh, maybe you know hitting your stride a little bit coming out of halftime that's exactly right there's another exciting initiative underway we um recently acquired a, a business called Stoke Broker, which was founded mm-hmm. by our our founder Brad Ludden. Um, and we're really excited about that. It's a cause corporation where we're able to, to provide really bespoke adventure opportunities for private clients. And really the profit of that all really, um, is reinvested into the, the mission of first ascents. Um, so not, we didn't exactly pick the timing was, was interesting, <laughs> right? Where the, 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 the acquisition of this happened, uh, really in, in conjunction with our 20th anniversary. And we were really looking to kind of launch at a time where, it wasn't so challenging, but um, nonetheless, um, 
I guess you could say it's bold to, uh, to launch a for-profit adventure travel company during a, a global pandemic. But we have an awesome team over there too that's been really had a lot of success despite all the challenges. So we got a lot of things going on um, and we got a lot of great people involved with them. So um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's continuing to problem solve around um, this time. And, you know, I'm reminded by some of my colleagues, uh, one in particular, that this will be our, our finest hour looking back on it. And um, it's hard, sometimes hard to see that in the moment, but as, <laughs> as yeah. leaders, it, it certainly makes us more resilient. Uh, I think definitely more compassionate. Uh, I think it helps us to become better listeners and, and a little bit more in tune with how people are doing throughout all of this. And mm-hmm. we've had a lot of learnings along the way. And um, I think it'll only make us stronger in time as, as much as some of that has come with a little bit of pain along the path. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I remember talking with you about Stokebroker back early on. Uh, it was, it was last year. So during the, during kind of the onset of all of this stuff, yep. um, you, we, we talked about that and that's great to hear that that's still, still moving forward. I, you know, I think that there's great opportunity there, particularly as things really start to open back up. I, I, I'm certain that people are, as soon as, as soon as the fear factor gets kind of overcome in terms of, you know, how, how do I, how do I travel um, safely? Um, you know, I think, I think people are going to be just raring to go on that, uh, that type of adventure travel for sure. Absolutely. I think there, thankfully we have, you know, 20 years of experience of, of helping people who are in a health compromised situation, navigate travel and adventure and things of that nature. So safety is, is our number one priority when it comes to all things adventure. Um, and I think one of the, the one, we, we do have some private clients that are, that are taking advantage of, of Stoke Broker currently. And I think um, we've had a lot of success historically hosting leadership team building retreats and uh, employee engagement opportunities previously through first ascents and now we're kind of routing all of that through stoke broker it just is, is it makes a little bit more sense to do it that way and um and we're really excited once companies um to to your to the point you're making once companies feel that it's safe to bring their teams back together and certainly you know people who are or traveling with their families and, and other friends when they're ready to do that we're we'll be ready to, to support them in doing that um so really excited to, to see where this goes with with Stoke Broker and um, it'll be a fun road ahead. Yeah, for sure. So in the 20 years you guys have been, been around and, and doing such great work, what, what are some of the, the obstacles that you've, that you've been able to overcome that you might be able to provide some insight for, for newer nonprofits who, are, who might navigate those same waters? That's a great question. I think early on, the biggest obstacle was actually getting buy-in that it would be prudent to bring people who were coping with cancer out on the river or out on the rock or whatever the case may be. And, and thankfully, the vision of the, the, the founders, the founder, our founder, Brad, and the founding board and all the volunteers who were part of First Ascents back in the day, after putting on that first program here in, in the Vale Valley, it, on the upper Colorado river, they just saw how powerful it was. And that was reinforced through a lot of the testimonial from the participants. They had the, the resilience to just, you know, keep 
at it and keep working towards something that they really believed in. And, and obviously it's grown tremendously over time, but earlier, early on, the barrier really was around the idea of even, you know, allowing people who were quote unquote sick to come out in an adventure with us. Um, I think, you know, other barriers, obviously any nonprofit is going to face is funding. Um, I think certainly nonprofits that are in, uh, Colorado, um, or in the outdoor space or working in healthcare advocacy are going to face challenges surrounding diversity and making mm-hmm. sure that, that, you know, um, that's a priority, but really I, I think, you know, um, there, there are so many challenges when it comes to, to running a nonprofit. I think that there has, <laughs> I think that's a whole nother conversation, but I think sure. so much of it is, um, it's, it's just believing in what you're passionate about and, and knowing that, um, that people can benefit from what you offer. And, and I think, um, there's just such a constellation of different wonderful causes out there that, um, I think one of the things to be mindful of is, is duplication. So if you're seeing others doing great work, it's how do you partner up with them? How do you you know, support their work? And, you know, I, I have the unique experience having founded my own nonprofit back in the day. And we've, we've since kind of sunsetted that initiative, but it really put me on the path to, um, my career with Livestrong prior to joining First Ascent and, and eventually put me on the path to where I am now. And I think so much of it is really understanding what you're passionate about, seeing, how, you know, really kind of doing a landscape analysis of who else out there believes as strongly in, in what you're trying to do as you do. And and collaboration, you know, I think, you know, collaboration and, and creativity really win the day when it comes to this type of work. Yeah, those are all really great examples of, of things that people can kind of keep in mind. I, I really do think that that speaking to that passion is is one of the first things that that's super helpful. Um, I have a, a blog post kind of brewing in my head about about Patagonia. Yep. And and they used to have the reputation, people always called it Patagucci because it was, you know, really expensive and 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 I haven't heard them called that in many years. And I think it co- coincides with when they really leaned into their environmental um, mission and, and really just started putting it out there that this was what they were about. And, and once they really fully embraced that, it, it just dr- dropped off in terms of that, that perception. And I'm, I'm wondering, and I, I need to do some more exploration around, around this, but, but I'm wondering if that, if that's not part of that key, um, you know, that when you believe so strongly in the thing that you're trying to accomplish and, and live those values and, and really put, put that out there in such an authentic, consistent way, that that's how you start to, to really make big shifts in, in the way that people perceive you as well as, you know, the, the breadth of the mission that you can actually accomplish. Yeah, I think that's right. Having that through line that everything really ties back to is, is so important. Um, and, and to, to what you're saying here is speaking to your passion and, and yeah. And, and I think there's, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't do it enough. Right. I think there's, it's a very saturated world that we live in with, you know, the constant, pings and, and, and notifications that people are getting. And, you know, everyone wants to be an Instagram influencer. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a broad statement. I don't, I, maybe that's, but, but I think the idea is that, yeah, I mean, I think 
you know, I don't think there's one right answer. I don't think there's one right platform, but I think just leaning into that passion and, and really thinking about who else shares that with you and, and how do you really build coalitions around that and how do you collaborate and certainly seeking funding partners along the way who believe in your mission. Um, for us, what's been very helpful as well is early on, one of our top partners said, hey, we would like to fund uh, an externally led evidence-based research effort to really validate mm -hmm. Well, that what you're doing is is accomplishing the intended uh, results that, that that you have, um, and, and so we since have done first that one, and now a, a subsequent evidence based research effort that really has um, really validated our work in a, in, a, in a big way, and I think it, it allows us to speak the language with audiences within the medical community who are the ones who are going to be referring participants out to our programs, in that our programs do improve. Um, you know, social connection, they reduce issues surrounding um, psychosocial distress, which is anxiety and depression um, and, mm -hmm. and other, you know, challenges surrounding body image and you name it. Right? I think there's, there's an important um, part of this work and demonstrating not only through a lot of the, you know, for us at this point, thousands of inspirational anecdotal, you know, testimonials and, and, and inspiring stories uh, of how people have changed their lives as a result of, of, of being a part of our community. But also, you know, there are those, you know, particularly larger grant funders that are getting a tremendous number of, of, you know, requests every year for funding. It's really important to demonstrate the efficacy of your work. And so I think I would encourage nonprofits kind of early on to really be thinking about their intended impact, um, their quote unquote theory of change and, and then how do you measure those things um, to make sure that you're learning along the way? We've learned a lot from those those research efforts and we've made a lot of adjustments to make sure that, you know, we understand our blind spots and that we're addressing those gaps. And, and one example of that is, you know, early on, we really were focused on week-long programs. Uh, and what we learned is that while those those programs are certainly transformational in many ways that oftentimes the participants of our programs, when they went back into their home lives, they had this incredible experience, but then they weren't feeling like their home life was, was all that inspiring. And so there was this tendency to slip into those previously identified distress levels that they were experiencing prior to joining us at a program. And so we built, you know, this is, this is where we really, um, you know, turn the corner and really focused on community building and how do we provide programs in, in local areas, bring people together and, and now really leaning into how do we make sure that we're providing the tools and, and, and information that people can use to really create lifestyle, uh, the lifestyle change that, that embraces adventure in their own day to day. Oh, that's great. So that you're able to, to take this experience and, and enable people to apply it as an ongoing component of their, of their lives. That's that yeah, absolutely. Current? I mean, that's the, that's the, I mean, really that's what's going to sustain those improvements to, you know, the, the, the previous challenges that I mentioned, whether it be psychological distress right. or, you know, issues surrounding body image or feelings of uh, isolation or alienation. It's, it's, you know, being able to, to sustain the outcomes um, that we, achieve within our programs and even reach people that have barriers to maybe coming out to join us for a program is how do we mm -hmm. inspire that, that outliving it spirit within anybody um, who, you know, who believes in the, the, the values that we, that we share as an organization. Nice. I really love that. Um, how did you guys do 
how did you how did you approach that research piece? Because data is certainly something that we lean on quite heavily in, in you know in the marketing world to try and make sure that we're measuring and and doing the right things and doing more of the things that work and making adjustments and iterating, et cetera. But did you come to those kind of research projects by presenting those to to your partners, or or were were there were there some people that were interested in in the data opportunity that came to you to see how how to how to leverage that? What what was the kind of the genesis of all of the, of that research? I think it was a combination of of the things you mentioned. It, we have a medical advisory board that is comprised of just really supportive, incredible professionals in that space. Um, some of which are focused on research, and then again, we have funding partners who are in the biotech space who clearly um, understand the value of research and, and, you know, evidence-based findings. And so it was kind of a combination of conversations that we were having, trying to understand what are the various, um, you know, more standard medical scales that we could measure. Um, And that's where, you know, we come up with a a range of like PSI dash four and other measures that, that these researchers are using to, understand the efficacy of the programs. And then really it's, it's, you know, obviously working in, in collaboration with our community and those who've been out to the programs to, to get those to participate in the process. Um, so I, I think it was, yeah, a super collaborative approach with, you know, those close to the organization also point to really the adolescent young adult oncology movement as, um, as a, a big part of this as well. And really that dates back nearly 20 years at this point when, Livestrong partnered with the National Cancer Institute to create um, really research around uh, a progress review group research effort around um, the gaps that were that were becoming more obvious through research and, and statistical analysis surrounding um, this population of adolescents, young adults, ages fifteen to thirty nine. Um, and I, I think the one that really stood out, you know, especially back then is when you looked at the data, you, you really what you saw was that five-year survival rates really hadn't improved since the early 1970s. And okay. when you look at, you know, um, population, younger populations and older pediatric and older adults, you saw that, that, that survival rates really were improving quite substantially over that same um, period of time. And as they, as you know, these groups came together and, and really came up with a, a plan on how to address it over the years, you saw just a really beautiful collaboration amongst many, uh, organizations who were, who, who had, you know, identified this gap in care. And it, it, there's, I could talk about this for hours as well. There's just so much to that, but I think that movement has been, really instrumental in helping us get connected with the right researchers who are interested in these same topics um, within their medical institutions and, and kind of beyond. And when we presented the opportunity to, to study what we were up to, there was a lot of eagerness to, to do that. Yeah. And thankfully we were able to get some the funding to make it happen. And a lot of the generosity from our research partners early on to make it affordable for us to do it. Cause research is not sure. cheap. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, we've had just, just a tremendous amount of generosity and, and intention um, around how we approach those efforts. Yeah, that's awesome. To, I, I mean, I, I hear you keep coming back to collaboration, which I think is just such a key element is, uh, you know, looking for looking for people to help and looking for people that you can help and creating those relationships and building that is, is 
kind of how we how we as humans get things done. So it's it's cool to hear you come back to that all the time. And then I think what I would say for you know kind of up and coming nonprofits is is to not always just rely on your gut and really take the opportunity to see to, to ask the question, you know, is this really benefiting people or is this is this really are we achieving the outcomes that we were hoping to or or even expecting to? And if and if not, what what outcomes are we achieving? Um, and and just really kind of going back to data and, and measurement and and you know surveying your your stakeholders and and uh, you know trying to gather that information because it can be it can be something that can really springboard things. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, again, I think that's one of the things that is many challenges that exist within the nonprofit space. I think one of the nice things is hopefully that there is a tremendous amount of collaboration and it's not as, it's not so much competition, right? When you see other people doing similar work, you know that it's great that they're doing it because quite honestly, most of us can't reach all the people that we want to anyway. So I think there's mm-hmm. such an important um, aspect where it's, there's, there's really not quote unquote competition like you might see in the for-profit space as much. And, and hopefully people working in the nonprofit space are thinking, uh, much less from a, a kind of place of self-interest or, you know, that cutthroat approach um, that you might see when it comes to, you know, uh, other spaces where, you know, it's about the bottom line, it's about your shareholders, it's about your investors mm-hmm. and nothing wrong with that. Uh, I'm not, not, not saying that. I mean, when you think about some of the things that have changed the world for, for better, they are, you know, under that model of creating new innovative products that, 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 you know, improve people's lives. And so definitely not challenging that model necessarily, but I do think that's one of the, 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 the beautiful things about the nonprofit space. And I would encourage people when they're thinking about how do I start, you know, a lot of nonprofits myself and the one that I founded um, as well, they, they come from a place of personal experience and, right. and that's a beautiful thing. And, and one of the things that comes with that is passion and, you know, an element of kind of tenacity and, and resilience to keep doing that work. Um, even when times get really hard and, and oftentimes not for any personal gain, but due to what you experienced and when wanting to just be a part of the solution. And so I, I would always encourage anybody early to the process to look around and, and think about those organizations that really do inspire you and you know, A, what you can learn from them or B, maybe what, how can you plug in to something that already exists versus reinventing mm-hmm. the wheel? Because I do think that Funding, uh, the, the, the funders are becoming more and more sophisticated on that as well. And, and I'll say that, you know, funders don't, they really don't love to see duplication um, because, you know, duplication in the nonprofit space doesn't exactly weed itself out like I think it may um, when, when you look at for-profits because that, that is where I think competition can be healthy. It's, you know, the, the, best, the best business wins um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think in the nonprofit space, it's, it's harder sometimes to differentiate between those two things. Yeah, for sure. I think that there, I mean, there's certainly in the, in the Denver Boulder area, there, there are tons of nonprofits and I'm, I'm confident that there's, there's plenty of overlap. Um, and you know, I, I, like you, I haven't really seen a, you know, a cutthroat kind of attitude around that, but, but certainly if we could pool our assets and, and try to figure out how to work kind of collectively, um, that, you know, the potential to do even greater things, uh, exists for sure. Um, yeah. 
That's that's a really great insight, actually. Yeah, and I, I think there's and again on on that on that point. I think you know I, I don't know. Sometimes it's hard to, to again. A lot of times, venturing into the nonprofit world is it is a personal passion, and most in many cases, people are doing that on top of their day to day job. So to to expect sometimes that people have done their full market assessment and landscape analysis and all these things. I, 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 at the same time, I recognize how that that's a lot to chew. That's a lot, that's a lot to chew chew on, right? But I do think it's really important. Um, I'm not sure I have much more to say on that, other than just yeah, just you know, looking at others who are doing great work and trying not to to reinvent what what's already out there, and and really just come to the table to to work together and improve on things that are they're working well. Yeah, you know, there might be opportunities to spin off a, a regional wing of of a larger nonprofit that, you know, if you, if one has a, a real passion to run something, right. um, you know, there might be an opportunity there as opposed to kind of reinventing the wheel and, and trying to, you know, trying to carve out your own little chunk of, of a pie that's not necessarily getting, getting any bigger. Yeah. It's like the abundance philosophy, right? Like it's not about growing your size of the pie. It's kind of growing the whole pie and it's, it's really yeah. thinking through how do you, um, yeah, I think that's that's the spirit that that. But it's tough. I mean, running nonprofit. It's. I, I think there's. I've heard this. Like this could just be bro science that I'm re- repeating here because I just <laughs> heard it from somebody else. But you know, nonprofits and restaurants have the highest failure rates because, you know, for for a range of reasons. But for nonprofits, certainly, it's. You know, the funding. The funding is tough, and I, you know, you 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 look at books like Uncharitable, where you know they measure percentage of GDP. Um, you know, that goes into philanthropy. And really, we haven't seen a tremendous, we've seen a, a, a tremendous uh, uh, increase in the number of nonprofits, but you don't see an incre- a, a tremendous increase in the, in the amount of giving. So I think right. that math doesn't exactly work, right? So it's, uh, yeah. so it's just something to keep in mind. Um, and certainly for listeners out there who are in a fortunate position to be able to give, uh, yeah, I'd encourage you to find those nonprofits that you're most passionate about, understand the ones that are having the greatest impact, and and get involved get involved you know contribute and sometimes that can be you know obviously financially but it could also be through your expertise and your volunteerism and there's just so much uh, you know i'll speak to um our, our experience right we we benefit from such a beautiful constellation of supporters financial you know whether it's financial expertise whether it's you know just guidance on any type any range of topics where we're not the expert um, and, and we're just in a really fortunate position after 20 years of, of being at this, that we have incredible partners that, that help us with, with anything that we're not, we're not the, the you know, the, the pro at. And, um, I sure. think that's so, so important as well as to, to work with great partners. And, and again, for, for your listeners out there, just imagine you have the right, a lot, a lot of great people who are already invested in, in great nonprofits, but, always the challenge I always throw out there is, you know, think about the skills and the resources that you can bring to bear against your, your favorite causes and, and challenge your thinking a little bit about that and, and right. see what you can do that maybe right. you're not already doing. Well, there's certainly a lot of nonprofits out there who are looking for committee men, committee members or board members, or, you know, some, some, just a little, little help here and there. Um, you don't always have to put a shovel in the ground to be a volunteer. You can you can really contribute in a in a wide variety of ways to to help any any nonprofit thrive. So um, yeah, so just increasing that um, 
opportunity in your own space, I think is, is a wise recommendation. Absolutely. So how can people find you? Where's the best place for them to, to reach out if they want to get more information about First Ascents? The best place to learn about First Ascents is at our website. It's www.firstdescents.org. And then I would also encourage people to go visit our website at Stoke Broker as well, www.stokebroker.com. Um, and that's the best way to reach us um, on both of those initiatives. Oh, that's awesome. Um, in terms of action, I really like the conversations that I have, and I really appreciate you being on the show with me today and, and talking with me more about, about your mission and, and all the great things you guys are doing. But if you were to have people who listen to the show today, take one action, what, what would that be? Uh, get outside, just spend more time outside. And, um, I think the more time we can, can do that regardless of where we live, whether that's going to the local park, um, certainly we're all about leveling up your adventure. So get in touch with us if you're, if you're looking to level it up a bit, but spend time outside and, and allow that to bring some healthy perspective, right? Like, you know, I think th thankfully this is becoming, um, a, a little bit more well-known more broadly is just the importance of, of spending time outside. And, and I would, that would be my number one call to action for people. Well, I am with you on that. I have, that's one other thing that has come out of, uh, out of these crazy times that we're living in right now is that uh, for me, not having to commute to, to an office every day gives me a couple hours to, to go outside and play. So I've been really taking advantage of that. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much again for being on the show, Ryan. I really appreciate it. I, I love what you guys are doing. Big fan. And I, and uh, I'm excited to see how, how things evolve in your next 20 years. Well, thank you, Stu. And uh, I appreciate the support you've lent us over the years. You've been a, a really great supporter and you've helped us with doing an audit of our websites and doing some other really valuable work. So those out there listening, whether you're a, a leader of a nonprofit or you're an employee of a nonprofit, I would encourage you to consider Stu in, a, in the work that they do at Relish um, to, to support your work. And yeah, I appreciate you creating this platform, Stu, to, to get the word out about so many great causes. Um, need more people like you out, out there in the world. Appreciate you. Oh, I really, I really appreciate that, uh, that plug and, and your confidence and, and uh, look forward to spending some time outdoors with you here in, in the coming months when we can get back together. As well, my friend. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Yep, you too. All right. There you have it. Another great episode of Relish This. Thanks for listening. If you would like to learn more about how to apply the audience engagement cycle to expand your organization's mission, there are two things you can do. Right now, you can go to missionuncomfortablebook.com to download a copy of my book. And while you're there, you can get your purpose-driven marketing score to see where you can unearth some gold for your organization. If you'd like to listen to back episodes of the show or sign up to be a guest, go to relishstudio.com slash podcast. That's it for this week. I'll be back next week for another great episode of Relish This.